independent media is more important than ever. We don't have a corporate network behind us, and we also don't have big green foundation grants. So we really do need you, and we are actively calling in your direct support so that we can continue exploring many of these topics and perspectives, often sidelined by mainstream media. If you're enjoying our show, please make sure you're subscribed and join us on Patreon today, starting at a tip of just $3 at patreon.com slash green dreamer. Every little bit helps and really adds up. And that is the power in community. So thank you so much for however you're able to support our work. Green Dreamer is supported by our listener patrons. To support the show starting at just $1 per month and access extended content, you can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. I think there needs to be a shift from how to save the Amazon rainforest to how to best support the Amazon's oldest guardians and its most experienced protectors, the indigenous people. That was Mitch Anderson, the founder and executive director of Amazon Frontlines, which is an international group of human rights lawyers, environmental activists, forestry specialists, and others who work to support the struggles of indigenous peoples and defend their rights to land, life, and cultural survival in the Amazon rainforest. Stay tuned as we're about to go into part two of our conversation with Mitch. So if you haven't already, be sure to tune into episode 161 first, which is the episode before this. That is part one of this dialogue. So, you know, you can get a comprehensive background of Mitch's work in the Amazon rainforest before diving into the rest of our conversation here, where we're going to explore some key wins that we've had lately in safeguarding our Amazonian indigenous lands, what it took for that to happen, how we can stand in solidarity with our Amazonian indigenous peoples to support the conservation of their ancestral lands and more. Green Dreamer, if you're ready, take a deep breath and let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast exploring our paths to ecological balance, intersectional sustainability, and true abundance and wellness for all. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. By now, you've spent over 15 years supporting the struggles of Indigenous people in the Americas. What are some of the most important wins you've seen and supported in terms of the conservation of indigenous lands? And what did it take to swing the pendulum this way for these wins to happen? Over the last two years, you know, there's been two very monumental victories for indigenous rights here in Ecuador and Amazon that, yeah, I'd love to share with you. Just recently, the Kofan people of, of Sinangue, who live in the Andean foothills in Ecuador's northern Amazon, they just won a major victory against sort of industrial scale mining in their territory. And how that began was we worked with the Kofan community on installing rainwater catchment systems and, you know, built trust and got to know the Kofan people of that area. There was, you know, youth from different nations, you know, the Koyas and the Sionas and the Waranis that participated in, in building these rainwater systems. And, you know, we would listen to and hear stories from the hunters, you know, and from the old timers that would take big walks out into the deeper forests, you know, out into the out into the woods. And they'd be talking about all of these new trails that the poachers and the loggers and these artisanal sort of small scale miners were building into their into their ancestral territory. But they had no way of proving it. 
And, you know, these are like long two day hikes and, you know, the Ministry of Environment and government agencies aren't going to go out there. They like to fly around in helicopters. But, you know, these old timers were taking these big walks and seeing all this. And so we ended up helping them develop essentially a system of monitoring and evidence collection using camera traps, using drones and building out a land patrol that began doing weekly monitoring of their entire territory. And, you know, over the course of just a year, we, you know, developed an archive of just incredible evidence of just a massive invasion in their lands. And on one of the trips, which I actually was on, we ended up going way upriver and were there the day after large-scale mining operations began on the banks of their river. And so, you know, with all of this evidence of invasion into their territory, the community was now very organized and wanting to, you know, stop the influx of, of invaders. They were poised at that moment when there is, you know, industrial scale mining beginning to file a lawsuit with our legal team, basically saying that these mining concessions that the government had apparently given out to all of these different mining companies without even consulting the COFAN were illegal. Um, it violated their right to self-determination and violated their right to prior consultation and you know, we were able to file a lawsuit with them, and we ended up winning. Um, and we were able to, with the Kofan people, shut down 52 gold mining concessions in the upper headwaters of the Amazon and protecting 79,000 acres of some of the most biodiverse rainforests on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that win you know, sets a precedent in Ecuador you know, and across the Amazon you know, for that other nations can use in their battles to protect their territories. Sort of on top of that, very recently, I mean, just several weeks ago, the Warani people um, won a major landmark human rights and environmental victory, shutting down the possibility of oil drilling in 500,000 acres of their ancestral, of their ancestral territory uh, in the Pastasa area. And I think it's important to know that these are, these are not just about court cases and court wins. These are about you know, social processes in the communities the indigenous nations sort of developing a vision over how they want to not only defend their land and get control of their land, but how they want to thrive in their territory. And, you know, recently with the Warani people, um, you know, they have 500,000 acres of ancestral rainforest territory in the Pastasa province, which is untouched by oil. It's roadless. But the Ecuadorian government for the last seven years uh, has been wanting to sell off their lands to to the oil industry, you know. And back in 2015, uh, we began working with the with the Warani, and they they basically said, you know, first off, we want to see what oil does to the rainforest, you know. And so we organized a trip for the Warani people of you know the southern Amazon to come and visit the Sequoia, Siona, and Cofan of Ecuador's northern Amazon. And basically learn from the elders, learn from the women, learn from the youth about what it looks like to live downriver from oil. You know, not only going to see what an oil spill looks like or what an oil pit looks like, but really to hear stories about what kind of changes happen when the oil industry comes into the rainforest. You know, roads are built, colonization happens, massive cultural disruption and changes begin, dependency on money, the, you know, oil contamination and new sicknesses uh, health problems because of sort of gas flaring in the area, the disappearance of wildlife, you know, the impoverishment of the soils. And, you know, these stories that the Kofan, Siona, and Sequoia told the Warani elders, 
sharpened their resolve to the nth degree, essentially. And they said, we will never let oil into our lands after seeing and hearing from, from these tribes, from our brothers and sisters of these different nations who've been so affected. Um, but we need to show the world that our territory isn't this sort of vast, sort of green, empty space. You know, when people look at it from a satellite or when the government draws up their maps, all they do is they show like a little dot in the middle of this vast sea of green. But all of that forest is part of our life. It's our pharmacy. It's our market. It's our it's our hardware store, our hunting grounds. And we want to show the world and we want to show the government that we depend on all of this. And so we want to start a mapping project with you. You know, we want to build a territorial map that can show the world how we live in our lands. And so in 2015, we began a project with the women and with the youth and with the elders to basically demonstrate to the world and to the government and to the companies that the Warani people's land was, you know, their culture was inextricably entwined in their forest, you know, and over the course of several years, you know, and I did a lot of a lot of treks out there with them. You know, the Warani youth gathered with the elders. They gathered over ten thousand GPS points of you know sacred waterfalls, fishing holes, uh, hunting grounds, animal paths, traveling trails between villages, uh, medicinal plants, and created a map. You know that they used as an organizing tool and as a governance tool within their territories, um, so they could you know, begin thinking about how to, you know, manage their land and resist invaders and invasions. And then very recently, you know, the government reannounced their plans to auction off Warani people's land, you know, what the government calls Block 22. And the Warani were ready, you know, they had spent several years developing their, you know, their territorial map, um, visiting with the, you know, the villages in Ecuador's northern Amazon, understanding the threats, and so we helped them file a lawsuit against the government. Took, you know, it was a several year process um, of gathering the evidence, thinking through the witnesses that would go to trial. But basically, the lawsuit revolved around the government's consultation process, supposed consultation process in their lands, you know, which, you know, is required by the Ecuadorian constitution and by international law. But essentially, what the government did was they flew in on jungle planes without any advance notice. Um, they convened meetings in the villages um, where most people weren't even there. Most people had already left to go into their gardens or go out hunting. They organized, they offered food, and they basically told the villages they were going to begin the process of looking for oil companies interested in exploiting their lands for oil. Um, and in exchange, you know, they were going to give the Warani, you know, education and uh, health care and, and all these basic rights. And, you know, we were able to prove in the court that, you know, this is the way the government did their prior consultation process. You know, and the courts in Ecuador found the Ecuadorian government guilty for having violated the Warani people's right to self-determination and prior consultation, effectively nullifying the entire oil block and shutting down the government's plans to develop oil resources in the Warani people's ancestral land. You know, and this is just a huge monumental victory for indigenous rights for the Amazon rainforest. And it provides a really strong legal precedent for neighboring indigenous nations to bring cases against the Ecuadorian government to also protect their lands from the government's plans to exploit oil resources there. We're at a time when modern society has removed most of us from the context of 
wild nature, leading to our disconnection from the environment, then leading us to make destructive decisions without truly understanding their full impacts. So I believe we have a lot to learn from our indigenous people who do still live as one part of nature, especially people who may not contribute to a country's GDP by a lot because they're they're not participating in that consumerist culture, and also those that have may have little power within policy traditionally because they may not have had a seat at the table before. But in defense of wild nature, the wild nature that we have left, listening to and learning from Native wisdom is really vital for us to understand what is really at stake if we continue to extract more than we conserve. So with everything that you've learned, what do you think it'll take for Indigenous people in the Americas and perhaps in other parts of the world as well to be able to stand their grounds and protect our remaining wild and Indigenous lands from further conversion, extraction, and degradation? What we've been told at Amazon Frontlines by the Indigenous Nations in Ecuador's Amazon is, you know, it's a priority to get control of their lands and then to be able to keep control of their lands and then to thrive in their lands. And in order to get control of their lands, Indigenous folks, you know, they're facing just in a bewildering onslaught of different extractive projects of interest in their forests from logging to mining to oil to, you know, converting the rainforest into monocrops, cattle ranches. And, you know, so ensuring that indigenous folks have the network, the capacity and the resources to defend their land, I think is going to be crucial. And, you know, defending their land is part and parcel of the effort to protect their way of life, you know, and how they live in their forest. You know, you mentioned at the beginning, you know, the that connection to the land, you know, the growing of food, the fishing, the hunting of animals, the the being in the forest is what makes indigenous folks the, you know, the best protectors of their land, you know, because they're the, they have the most knowledge and the most experience doing it. Speaking of the Amazon, you know, it's widely known that the Amazon is approaching an ecological tipping point, but it's much less talked about that the Amazon is approaching a cultural tipping point as well, you know, where you have, you know, these massive threats to the forest, you know, are threatening indigenous people's territories and their livelihood and essentially threatening their knowledge base, threatening their connection to the land. And you can see that in the situations of indigenous youth. They're not looking to, to the forest as the elders do, as sort of the place to get things, as the place of all meaning in life. They're also looking towards the city and the money economy as an important part of, you know, of survival, fundamental to, you know, the the protection of the Amazon, to the autonomy of indigenous peoples, and to the, you know, protection of their way of life, is to be able to invest in the youth and to work with the youth and build out opportunities and platforms for the indigenous youth to 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 make bold and amazing proposals about how they and their people want to live in their forests in the 21st century so that they can thrive in their lands and i think what that's going to look like you know it's going to involve a lot of listening from people on the outside that want to support and it's going to include you know really really interesting you know uses of technology of alternative energy thinking through how to create resilient regenerative economies in the amazon rainforest that you know indigenous youth and indigenous w- women can lead that value their their knowledge and their way of, of seeing and thinking and feeling i think that what it's going to take you know for indigenous folks to resist this onslaught as well is you know 
for globalization to redeem itself, for global civil society to to stand with them in solidarity, to listen to them, and to see how to best support. You know, I think it's going to be about ensuring that indigenous folks have the resources, networks, and capacity to defend their land, to keep control of their land, and to thrive in their land, ultimately. And to close, what are some actions that we can take as individuals, near or far, to stand in solidarity with our indigenous people of the Americas and support the conservation of our native and wild ecosystems? You know, I think that indigenous folks and, you know, frontline communities have been swimming upstream for decades, for centuries in, 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 their, in their struggle to protect their lands, to protect their way of life. You know, in the case of sort of, of conservation and of the Amazon rainforest, you know, I think for the first time uh, right now, there's this alignment happening between, you know, all of this new information about climate change and the importance of tropical rainforest conservation in terms of climate change. There's a massive swelling of sort of commitment from people around the world to protect the Amazon rainforest. You know, what I think uh, and what we think needs to happen, I think there needs to be a shift from how to save the Amazon rainforest to how to best support the Amazon's oldest guardians and its most experienced protectors, the indigenous people. You know, and I think what that can look like for global civil society can be, you know, amplifying indigenous voices, joining movements online that amplify indigenous voices that communicate effectively and with humility, you know, and with power, the struggles of indigenous peoples. You know, it can be making a financial investment in these causes and in these movements so that people that are on the front lines that are working to support indigenous communities and the indigenous communities themselves um, can have the resources they need to build the capacity to make the network, to make the connections happen, to protect their land uh, and their way of life. Hey, I just wanted to thank you sincerely for your huge heart and continued dedication to being the change that you want to see in the world. I know it's not always easy, but the world is a better place today because of you, and I'm truly honored that you're here. If Green Dreamer has become a part of your routine and you're able to support the show starting at just $1 per month, which will also gain you access to extended content, that would be so immensely helpful, and I would so greatly appreciate that. You can head to greendreamer.com support to learn more. Green Dreamer is also now on YouTube, and I hope to start doing some real-life field interviews soon, so I'm not just sitting here in my closet <laughs> staring at a screen and I can actually get out there and connect with people in real life. So if you're interested in staying posted on this, you can head to greendreamer.com YouTube to subscribe for free. For now, to our final five. Let's power through. What's an uplifting social media account or a publication you follow or a book you've read that's been really profound? Social media account would be Wow Resistencia, which is a social media account uh, that the Warani youth have created that's inspiring a global movement of support for their, for their just fight. Mm -hmm. What do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? What keeps me motivated and inspired is watching my, my, little, my little daughter Mm. My little daughter grow up and the amazement in her eyes and everything that she's learning in the in the Amazon rainforest. What's one thing you're working on right now for your health? Being close to water, getting in the rivers and doing a lot of canoeing and kayaking. And I'd spend a lot of time out in the forest as well, fishing, hunting. What's one thing you're working on right now to live more sustainably and regeneratively or to elevate your impact in this area? 
I think the work of, of my organization, Amazon Frontlines and the Sable Alliance, is, is essentially about that. It's about regeneration. It's about supporting in, in a way of life that's in tune with the land, you know, and that, and that must be protected. And then on a personal level, you know, learning how to, how to grow food um, here in the Amazon rainforest and learning about plant medicines and is something that I'm really passionate about. What makes you most hopeful for our planet at the moment? What makes me most hopeful is all of the all of the woke youth and, and the rising women. Well, thank you so much for this deeply insightful conversation. We would, of course, love to keep following your journey and everything that's happening at the Amazon front line. So where can we go to continue following your work and supporting uh, your organization online? Yeah, you can go to AmazonFrontlines.org uh, to, support, to support our work. And um, what final words of wisdom do you have for us as Green Dreamers? Keep keeping on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, final words of wisdom would be, you know, probably after a, after a show where I've been talking, it might sound ironic, but I'd say, uh, I'd say my final words of wisdom is to prioritize listening, you know, listening to people that are closest to the land. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can subscribe to Green Dreamer on YouTube now at greendreamer.com slash YouTube. Become a patron and access extended content by going to greendreamer.com slash support. And subscribe to our weekly solutions-driven newsletter at greendreamer.com. As we're wrapping up here, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe, and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.